Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Chapter 16, part 2. Chapter 17, part 1. So we'll do some review and introduction and weave it together. Let me say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. And, and God, I pray that you would speak to us through this word, even today where we live, here where we are, and through this ancient text, it's prophetic, speak to our hearts, we'll give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So <laughs> let's read verses 10 and 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Now we're in the judgments, the the vials or the bowls, and they're being poured out. These are shallow kind of saucers that are filled with the wrath of God, and they're being poured out uh, quickly and completely. He poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Now, this is fascinating. Some scholars have described this darkness as idiomatic, standing for something, but a darkness comes over the kingdom of the beast, and, and, and it could have, you could say, it was a political darkness or a spiritual darkness. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, in the plagues of the Exodus, which these seem to mirror, these, these vials, these bowl judgments, uh, the one of darkness in Exodus was a literal darkness. It, it literally got dark. Exodus 10, 21 through 22 says the darkness could be felt, and it says it was thick, but it was still a literal darkness. And I believe that's the case in Revelation 16, 10 here. But interestingly, the darkness in this Revelation passage is a source of pain. It says that uh, the, the, the people got sores and, and gnawed their tongues uh, because of the pain. So there's, there, there's this, this, this pain that's associated with it. I mean, there's been sores already, but the darkness causes them, uh, in the darkness they, they begin to, to gnaw their tongues. Matthew 25, 30, Jesus talks about hell being outer darkness. And so could this be a preview of hell? This judgment, as Guzik says, is as if people are standing on the shores of the lake of fire, kind of letting it splash up on them. And yet, in spite of the pain, in spite of the darkness, in spite of gnawing their tongues, they blaspheme and they refuse to repent. Just stunning, stunning. And we'll see this over and over and over again in, in these judgments. We've already seen it some in the book of Revelation. Now let's go to verses 12 through 16. At least I can talk tonight. Sing a little bit. At least I can talk. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. This is another judgment. And its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits 
this is interesting. Like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Quote, Behold, I am coming as a thief, God Almighty is saying. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame, unquote. And they gathered them together, these unclean spirits like frogs, to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Armageddon. Now, the Roman Empire saw the river Euphrates as a barrier that protected the Roman Empire from the kings of the east. In that day, it was 1,800 miles long and anywhere from 300 to 1,200 yards wide. So this is a pretty formidable deterrent to invasion. Now, if it were to dry up, as we see in this judgment, that dry riverbed could turn into a road so the armies of the east could move west. And so let's take a look at these armies for a moment. Which armies, which kingdoms, which empires from the east could this be referring to? Uh, when you look at Armageddon, you, you would then look to the east and you would look towards perhaps India, Japan, China, in my opinion, it seems to be a Chinese invasion. We'll get more into the details of Armageddon and, and its relevance uh, in the next couple of chapters. Now, this, this army that comes over doesn't seem to be like, like an army that's rebelling okay, against the Antichrist. It seems to be an army that's in league with the Antichrist. And it's, it's coming from the Far East, moving westward towards the Middle East or towards Armageddon or towards Israel. But ultimately, they're being drawn, this, this, this group of soldiers, this army, into a conflict against Jesus Christ. Because, and, and not only Jesus, but the, the holy angels, the church will be there. And, and it's taking place at Armageddon as Jesus rescues Israel on this amazing day. Now, we'll get there in a bit. We're going to put our, our toe in the water in the Battle of Armageddon tonight. First, let's talk about these unclean spirits. They, they come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And they are said to be like frogs. Again, a throwback to the plagues in Egypt. Now, each of those ten plagues, you do realize, was an attack on an Egyptian deity. This was, this was an affront by the Lord on the, the deities in Egypt. And the one concerning the frogs was an attack on a particular goddess of fertility. Rabbi Alec Goldstein says, Heket, Heket was a fertility god 
that had the head of a frog in that Egyptian culture. Martin Noth says the frog played a part in Egyptian mythology as an embodiment of life-giving power. Rabbi Goldstein goes on to quote Umberto Casuto, who writes, The Egyptians attributed to the frogs, which swarmed in the waters in, in countless numbers, a divine power, and regarded them as a symbol of fertility. One of the goddesses of the Egyptian pantheon, Heket, the spouse of Kanum, was depicted in the form of a woman with a frog's head and was uh, held to blow the breath of life into the nostrils of the bodies that her husband fashioned on a potter's wheel from the dust of the earth. In the Pentateuch, the narrative intends to convey that Israel's God alone rules the world and that he only bestows on his creations, according to his will, the power of life and fertility, and that these frogs, which were considered by the Egyptians as a symbol of fecundity, that's a great word I've never said before on a Wednesday night, right, can be transformed if he so desires from a token of blessing to one of blight. So again, this is an affront to these deities in Egypt and dealing with the frogs This is coming after a goddess. Now listen, (coughs) Hecut was not real. It's a demon spirit. Well, it's really not real, but there's a demon spirit behind this false god. How do I know that? Well, the scripture says this. Deuteronomy 32, 16 and 17. We won't take the time to read it. You can look it up. Deuteronomy 32, 16 and 17. Leviticus 17, 7. Even in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10 and other passages, let us know that behind every idol, behind every false god, behind the concept, the philosophical and theological construct of a false god, you will find demon spirits. A lot of times in Christianity, we love to talk about Jesus but we don't like to talk about the devil. But if you believe in Jesus, you have to believe in the devil because Jesus believed in the devil. Jesus confronted the devil on a regular basis, and so did the New Testament church. So where did the devil go in the modern era? He's kind of disappeared in a lot of people's minds. We don't want to... Deal with the devil. But if you deal with the word, you have to deal with the reality of the devil. In the Bible, there are antichrists. There's one, the antichrist. But John, the beloved, said there are many antichrists even at that time, which means even today, there are many antichrists. Now, that's not the antichrist. These are spirits. These are Instead of, as we looked at anti, instead of or false Christ, we also know that there are false apostles. Paul talked about them. If you think an antichrist or a false Christ is bad, I got even worse news for you. There are false messengers that preach the gospel, the anti-gospel of the antichrist, right? 
There are false apostles, false teachers, the Bible talks about, false doctrine. And there are uh, demons behind it all. Are you with me? Isn't this just exciting, right? There's doctrines of devils. We talked about how that uh, people would believe the lie. It's definite, the definite article, the lie uh, that Paul wrote, wrote about. That, so there's, there are lies and false uh, doctrine, false teachers, and false apostles, and false Christ. And, and behind it all, there are demons. Jesus and believers in Jesus are said to cast demons out. But think about this. Someone sends them forth. And we're talking about unclean spirits like frogs that came out of the mouth of the false prophet, the beast, and the dragon. Someone sends them forth. I don't want to dwell too long on this, but I do want to kind of drill down a little bit into this. Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is mind-boggling to me. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. This is around the time of Nero. Nero, Nero married a man. Nero married a woman. Nero was confused in many different ways. Nero killed Christians. Nero blamed problems on Christians. Nero put Christians in bloody skins and fed them to lions while the circuses and the crowds just cheered and, and, and like it was the greatest thing they had ever seen. Nero was perverse. Nero was evil. The Roman Empire was incredibly evil. If you don't believe it, go read up on it. Study it out. Incredibly wicked. Incredibly evil. Vile. Un, unbelievably so. And yet Paul says, we don't wrestle against Rome. We don't wrestle against Nero. Our enemy is not Caesar. Flesh and blood is not our problem. But I tell you what, we do wrestle against. I'm going to tell you something. A church that doesn't wrestle against what that church wrestled against is not doing what the church is supposed to do. Our our trouble is not with John Bell Edwards or Donald J. Trump or with the United Nations. That is not what we wrestle against, y'all. What we wrestle against is not flesh and blood. But it is powerful. You hear what I'm saying? It is power. It's more powerful than Donald J. Trump or John Bell Edwards or the United Nations could ever be in and of themselves. We don't wrestle against them. We wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. These are the things that are behind the concepts and constructs of antichrist, false Christ, false apostles, false teachers, false doctrine. When somebody is deceived in a certain way of thinking that is not truth, they are in bondage. And you can't argue them into freedom. 
you got to pray them into freedom, baby. they got to be delivered from that. That's a spirit behind it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to talk about it. I'm familiar with these things. You know how I am familiar with these things? I was in bondage. I was blind. I could not see. Paul said it to the church at Corinth. He said, whom the God of this world hath blinded, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine on them. I shook my fist at Christianity, but one day I got delivered. Amen? And it wasn't because some preacher argued with me like this. It's because the mercy of God got a hold of my heart. Somebody prayed my eyes open, and I was delivered. I was delivered. He's delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, ain't nobody in this room that's gotten anything from the Lord except for his grace. It wasn't an argument. It was a spiritual thing that took place in your life. You know what I'm talking about. Walking down that road of sin, walking down that road of rebellion, walking down that road of shaking your fist at the sky, walking down that road of selfishness and lust and greed, and I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to do it my way, like like Frank Sinatra, I'm going to do it my way, and, and you're just full of the devil, don't even know it. Don't even know it. Think You're just living your life. Remember the devil influenced Cain to kill Abel, and he was just mad at his brother. But the devil pulling the strings, it takes a deliverance. 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 This Ephesians passage speaks of a hierarchy, rankings, status. And the higher the rank, the more authority is given to command lower ranks. Remember when Jesus dealt with the Roman centurion? I do want to read this. It's Matthew 8, starting with verse 5. Are you with me? Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, we were just there, me and mom. We walked the streets of Capernaum, went to a synagogue there. A centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Um, wow, I, not in my notes, but I want to tell you where the devil is, there is fear, and where there is fear, there is torment. Mind driving you crazy, that's not from God. Losing sleep, breaking out in sweats, not from God. That's where you, you realize that this is not from the Lord. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. In his physical ministry. He said, I will go to him and and I will heal him. I, in other words, I will come physically in, into his presence and there I will deal with the spiritual realities that are tormenting him. Now, now I want to say this. We're going to look at the great faith of the centurion, but I just want to point this out. Jesus said, we understand this 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 kid is torn this servant is tormented this is a spiritual problem and Jesus is going to go physically and deal with a spiritual problem that is affecting this person physically you know the devil can affect you 
spirit, soul, body in every way. And, and, and work you against yourself. Get you stressed and then stress makes your heart beat faster and your blood pressure go high. You know, it's, it's all connected. It's all interrelated. And so Jesus is like, I'll go. I will go and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you personally should come under my roof. This is so powerful. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. I mean, if you're there in person or if you're there just in spirit through speaking a word, he's saying, you're outside time, space anyway. It's like the revelation of this guy. You're bigger than just the physical presence. And I'm not even worthy of you coming. Just speak the word because I know your word transcends into that other world and you can take care of it with just a word. For Listen, for I also am a man under authority. Having soldiers under me. And as a man under authority, I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. Said to those who followed, you don't find Jesus marveling very often. He marveled at this Gentile. And he said to those who followed him, assuredly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, there's so much in there, but let's move on. Authority, according to this passage, gives one the ability to send forth or to call in. I say to the one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To another, do this, and he does it. What does that? Authority. In the hierarchy of hell, the higher ranking angels, demon spirits, can send forth. All the way up to that fallen angel, the devil himself. Here's the point. Satan sends them forth. Jesus casts them out. The devil sends them forth. Believers cast them out. Hell sends them forth. Heaven casts them out. Spiritual warfare is helping people to break free from the bondage of false things. Fake news. I hate to make another reference like that. Uh, A a fake narrative. Fake false doctrine and lies. Spiritual warfare helps people to break free. And those are the things of the spirit that LifePoint has been engaged in this year and needs to be even more so. Because, you know, a few weeks ago, we, we had this rock star in here suffering from all kind of uh, issues he's facing. We, we've had guests in here for, for weeks at a time that may not have as obvious uh, the demons that he's having to face down, but people facing down issues that you can't argue away and talk them out of and, and give them enough free food and, and sing enough songs to them. There's got to be a spiritual breakthrough. And so as a church, I want to, I want to encourage us to pray, to fast, to engage our faith, and to look beyond just the veil of this temporary and understand there are eternal things that are taking place. And listen, 
we are not coming to this game, y'all. We're not coming to this match without weapons. The weapons of our warfare, baby, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We can win things in the spirit before we ever see them manifested in the spirit or in the flesh. You know what I'm saying? And so I just thought this was interesting. These demon spirits are sent forth from the mouth of the false prophet, the beast, and the dragon. They're sent forth. This is speaking of authority. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Luke 10, 18, he was cast out of heaven. And these unclean spirits, well, they're demonic. They are an allusion to Egypt. And I love this. Alfred says, frogs are unclean and noisy. That's why they're mentioned here. They're going to make a bunch of noise. You know what it's like in Louisiana? We live next to a swamp, and it rains in the summer. And what starts happening, right? I mean, just like over and incessant, the frogs just go nuts. I should have brought a recording of that, right? And then they're going to make a mess. You know, you ever picked up a frog? They'll give you warts. You know what I'm saying, don't you, right? That's what I was always told. They're going to make a mess. They're going to make a lot of noise, and they're going to make a mess. And with this spiritual activity, this sending forth of the unclean spirits like the frogs, there's coming signs and wonders. They're used as weapons of mass instruction. I think it's interesting that they come from the mouth. They come from the mouth of the false prophet, the beast, and the dragon. So they're speaking things. Signs and, and wonders are, are involved. So there's this great deception that takes place. And we've seen this before with the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13. And it's interesting. They go out to the kings of the earth. Notice that. They go to the kings of the earth. This is speaking of rulers, again, authority, and nations. Territorial spirits. We saw that in Ephesians 6, these different categories and rankings. And then in Daniel 10, we saw that with the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece that resisted uh, Gabriel getting the word to Daniel for 21 days. And then Michael's called in. This is not the prince of Persia or the prince of Greece as in, you know, the, the, the Shah of, of Iran. This is a demonic spirit that is over that territory. And so these unclean spirits, they have to be high-ranking, and they go to influence nations. I was mentored to look at the geopolitical world uh, through the eyes of prophecy and through the eyes of the sovereignty of God. Things don't just happen. They just don't happen. So, So when... When uh, Iraq uh, go, goes crazy, right, and and invades Kuwait, when Saddam Hussein goes nuts and in, invades Kuwait, that doesn't just happen. There's a sovereign plan of God that's being played out. And so as that begins to unfold, uh, you need to look at it through bigger, with, with, with a larger vision. 
uh, and I, I believe that. I still believe that today. Uh, when when uh, uh, Muammar uh, uh, Gaddafi goes, is that his name, right? When he goes nuts in, in Libya and the status quo is done, he just goes nuts, and then there's a revolution, the Arab Spring, uh, those things don't just happen. When Mubarak is kicked out of Egypt, uh, like that doesn't just happen. Uh, when, when the Soviet Union, when the wall comes down and the Soviet Union collapses and, 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 and perestroika and all that stuff, that doesn't just happen. Putin rises back up. That doesn't just happen. Uh, and, and I'll put it like this. I've said it already, but when, when Barack Obama rises up or when Donald J. Trump rises up or when, when it doesn't matter who you're talking about, there is a sovereign plan of God that will get accomplished. So they go to influence the kings of the earth. Now, there are three important battles mentioned in prophecy, Bible prophecy. Number one, the battle of Gog and Magog and their allies against Israel. We see that in Ezekiel 38. Mention it briefly, uh, Ezekiel 39 as well. Then the final battle when Satan and his allies um, are uh, defeated after the millennial reign of Christ. That's way off in the future, and it's Revelation chapter 20. But there is the battle of Armageddon. When the Antichrist leads the world system against a, well, against Israel, but against a returning Jesus. Revelation 17, 12 through 16, 17, 14, 19, 19. And the battle of Armageddon is something we're going to focus on. Uh, I'm going to introduce it tonight. We'll focus on it more in the next couple of weeks. The battle of Armageddon is described as the great day of God. Notice, the great day of God. God. It's actually the great day of God Almighty. It's not described as the great day of man Almighty or the great day of Satan Almighty or the great day of the Antichrist Almighty or the great day of Israel Almighty. It's the great day of God Almighty. In other words, He is sovereign. He's on the throne. He always has been, always will be. And it's all coming together precisely as He foresaw, predestined, foreordained. And He, in the end, will get all the praise, and all the glory. Now, there's still a warning in place to be prepared. It says, behold, I am coming, this God Almighty, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, <coughs> garments pictured uh, here are depicting righteousness. It, it's a spiritual righteousness, but I believe it's also a practical righteousness. Uh, we have the gift of righteousness, Galatians 3, 27, and, and, and others, but we also have to put on righteousness, Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. And I love that in Ephesians 4, it says to put on the garment of right, put on righteousness as a garment, put it on. That, that doesn't mean like fake it, you know what I'm saying? Just put on righteousness, right? That's what we call hypocrisy. Or in the deep fried south, we say hypocrisy, right? But it's to put on, like put it on as a garment. Wear it practically. So we're found, so, so we're found in a way that we're not naked without a covering. Uh, like, like Adam and Eve in the garden when they tried to cover themselves with, with fig leaves. And, you know, Isaiah says that... that, that, that our own righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God, and that's 
a despicable, uh, you know, detestable uh, quote there when you dig into it. This shows us, here's my bottom line point with this. This shows us that protection then and protection now against deceptive spirits, powerful deceptive spirits comes in the form of hiding, hiding, hiding in the finished work of Christ and living a life that reflects that. In other words, don't put on like fake it, but when you fail, run to the cross and not away from it. Don't run away from it and say, well, I'll clean myself up. No, you're opening yourself up to deception. Run to the cross and saying, Father, I have failed you. I'm asking you to cleanse me in the name of Jesus because he is faithful to forgive us of our sins if we are faithful to confess our sins. So, so staying connected with the finished work of Christ but not using the righteousness that's a gift as a license to do whatever we want to do, to sin. You know, Paul talked about that as well. In other words, trust the Lord. Live like you trust the Lord. And when you make a mistake, admit it. Go back to the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you and get back up and stand again because that's keeping your mind renewed. It's keeping it on track. It's it's disciplining yourself. It's what being a disciple is. Miss Cynthia is perfect in my eyes. She's perfect. Look at her. She is flawless. She's like that Mercy Me song. We went and saw Mercy Me the other night. She's flawless. She's just flawless. But the truth is, she's not. I can't even see Julie, and I don't even want to see Julie. The truth is, she's not. I don't, I have no idea how, but I'm sure she's not. But the, the point is this, in Christ, though, she's covered as if she is flawless. And so you may live a life like Miss Cynthia, but you may live a life, you know, like, like some of the rest of us. It's okay. If you're hidden in Christ, it's as if you're flawless. You just got to renew your mind. and dis- That's the thing about Miss Cynthia. Through the years, she has disciplined herself to go back to the cross to drop to her knees, go back to her Savior, to, to once again drop to her knees and go back to her Savior. That discipline of just over and over again, it has taught her. It, the grace of God teaches us denying ungodliness and, and all these things. She's been taught. She's been disciplined. And, and it's, it's happening with us. We're on various stages of the journey. But it's, it's all about looking to Christ, to Jesus, our Savior, not our church. Not our church attendance and our our report card. That is good. That is good, Monica. That is good. So many times it's the report card. You know, I serve them on my latest behavior. Well, that's a way to get in trouble. And that's a way to get yourself open to deception. Just drop to your knees. Oh, Father, forgive me. I come to you as I came the first time. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. I'm coming only because of your grace and an open door and invitation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm asking, cleanse me, cover me, God. Strengthen me, help me to go on. Teach me, God. Show me your ways. I'm going to do my best to walk in them. 
That is a way to shield yourself against uh, deception. And so Armageddon is the place where other decisive battles were fought, including some clearly cut good versus evil battles. Deborah fought Sisera there. Gideon defeated the Midianites there. Pharaoh and Josiah fought there. The valley has seen over 200 major battles fought from 1468 BCE with Pharaoh Tutmos III to 1917 CE AD with Lord Allenby of Great Britain. And even now, in the Valley of Armageddon is an Air Force base. We watch planes take off in that valley. Verses 17 through 21. Won't you stand with me right now? Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. That's a big earthquake. Now the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail fell from heaven upon men. Now, we, we saw that over in the plagues. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. And notice this. Men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great. The seventh angel pours out his bowl, and there's this radical announcement from the throne of God himself. There will be no more delay. So in his mercy, we see that God has stretched this scene out as long as possible. It reminds me of the name Methuselah. The name Methuselah means after this, after this one, judgment. Do you know the flood of Noah did not take place until right after Methuselah died? Judgment came when Methuselah died. And Methuselah is known as the oldest man who ever lived in the Bible. Again, a picture to us from the scriptures saying, it is not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to a place of repentance. My, my ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. My arm is not short that it cannot save. I will give man a space of grace. Speaking here of he stretched it out as long as possible. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God? Aren't you great, grateful that he was patient with you and still is? He's still patient with us, y'all. Thank God for that. Can you, can you just close your eyes, lift your hands to him right now. Let's just thank him for his grace and his long suffering.
and his mercy. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you have stretched this out. You have lengthened these days. Father, you have given us time and chance, opportunities to turn to you. And God, we're grateful. For somebody that doesn't know, I pray that every dark spirit that has clouded, blinded them would be lifted in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that the influence of the enemy would be lifted. Let that blindness be lifted for a moment and they could get a glimpse of just how wonderful you are, how glorious you are, how long-suffering you are, how much of a difference you can make in our lives when we surrender to you. Let's sing that song. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.